Few actors are as fun to watch as Philip Seymour Hoffman. Over the course of his career, he gave us an amazing array of unforgettable characters. From the vulnerable... Oh, fuck, it's idiot. To the charismatic... Thank you. To the downright disturbed... Go fuck yourself, you fucking child. Unfortunately, Hoffman's remarkable life and career would come to an abrupt end on Super Bowl Sunday, 2014. Few people knew the extent of his inner struggles, and by the end, he was too far gone to be saved. Hear the full story today on Death and Entertainment. Live from Los Angeles. 911, we're back another week. Look who it is. It's us, motherfuckers. <laughs> Get ready, Deados. Yeah. Because we are going into it this week with a legendary story about Philip Seymour Hoffman. My name is Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Mulcairin. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And yeah, this is a uh, this is a heavy one. Yeah, very, very sad moment in uh, acting in Broadway history. Yeah. Here. So get ready, everybody. Get some tissues. Uh, yep. Get ready to laugh a little bit. And we are heading to February 2nd, 2014. Let's get in there. All right. February 2nd, 2014. Mark, what is going on in the world of the pop culture? Oh, Kyle, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, right now, which is, you know, my wheelhouse here is uh, on Broadway. Let's find out what's, uh, what's hot on Broadway right now. What's hot? What's not? Well, there's few... Philip Seymour Hoffman, so it's very important we talk about Broadway here, of course, because he was like the king of Broadway during his time. Hell yeah. Um, this show called Beautiful, um, the Carol King musical, which is pretty Beautiful. pretty self-explanatory. I don't think that song is involved in it. <laughs> um, but one of pro- that few songs she did not write. Yeah. <laughs> Probably You're So Vain would be a big one, though. That's yeah. the one that people say is about Nixon that was sang by Carol King. Carly Simon. Oh, that's a wait a second. <laughs> hey, Never mind. Two songs that have nothing to do with Let this. Let me get another take. No, just kidding. Let's there's keep a few it. on the poster there. Uh, it says, what, The Postman? Natural Woman. The Locomotion. Natural Woman. Does that make up for my Carly Simon thing? Yeah. yeah. Come on, baby. <laughs> do the Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. Wow. That's a yeah. big one. Imagine those royalties. Be nice. Yeah, I can smell the money from here. Um, yeah, that's always good though. When you like your, you know, songs live on on everyone goes to Broadway now. Like I, I swear they're going to bring like, you know, uh, Mortal Kombat to Broadway or something. It's just like, it's where you go to bring your IP to squeeze more money out of it. My racist uncle goes to Broadway now. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fox News, the musical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sean hit gut filled the musical or whatever that guy's name is. It's like throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. They will d- turn everything into a show 
and only a few of them become successful. Well, we've talked about Waitress. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that became profitable, but it still got canceled or something. But it's yeah. one of the lucky ones. And, it's and, a toured and yeah, that, has that's made true. a lot of money thus far. They're definitely in the black on that one. But the Spider-Man one, with like, you know, it killed like five people. Yeah. That did not go forward. <laughs> yeah, Bono and the Edge were seen running out the back of the <laughs> Yeah, the they're running to the war front of Ukraine <laughs> yeah. after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're running towards the war now. We've got to go to Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> it's more safe than this. Yeah. <laughs> it was so traumatic. They want to collaborate with Ben Affleck now. Yeah. Yeah. And do something horrible. Yeah. Do a Dunkin' Donuts commercial, maybe. Um, <laughs> next up, Outside Mullingar. Outside Mullingar. What'd you call me? Um, it stars <laughs> Deborah Messing as an eccentric Irish woman, which is what we all wanted our entire lives. Um, <laughs> written by. John Patrick Shanley, which actually makes a lot of sense because he also wrote um, the the movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman as a priest. Doubt. Doubt. Yeah, he mm. wrote Doubt. So it all comes full circle. That Shanley reminds me actually of one of the priests that got busted uh, in Boston. <laughs> you don't remember uh, Father Paul Shanley? He was one, yeah. of, the, one of the big. Uh, oh, they ones. shared a last name. They did. Are they related? Um. I they could be actually I don't even know, um, and I don't want to know. No. But that, but he was involved in like what became um, the what was the movie about the priest in Boston? Um, Mystic Spotlight. River. The spotlight. Spotlight. Well, yeah. spotlight. He was involved heavily involved in the Spotlight one. And yeah. Paul they, Richard Shanley was an American Roman Catholic priest who became the center of a massive sexual abuse scandal yeah. in the Archdiocese of Boston in Massachusetts. Yeah. Which is you know. He, he didn't fare so life. he didn't fare so well in prison. This writer is probably super happy we're bringing this up. That, of course, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is it Cullen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, third one here is a time to kill, which recently closed. Actually, which is based on, I assume the the popular Matthew McConaughey movie as well as the book by John Grisham. John Grisham recently closed at that time. At that time, it is okay. long dead. Yeah, I was going to say that's still yeah. going. Yeah, it was a musical. Yeah, I hope they burn in hell. Hey, I <laughs> hope they burn in hell. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's like bringing the funk, bringing the noise. That's just St- like a collaboration much. with Stomp. <laughs> yeah, Stomp, <laughs> Collabro. Lyrics by Elton John and Tim Rice. Yeah, exactly. Savion Glover. Uh, well, Kyle, let, what's going on at the movies at this time since, since we just talked about one? Yes, I will tell you what was going on. Could you believe it at the movies? Number two at the box office, you see it here, Frozen. Ooh. 11 weeks in the box office at this point, and they're still number two, which is, you know, impressive. You couldn't make that movie today. <laughs> Could you? I don't know. Too white? Too too cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very divisive. What, what was that song? Uh, Let It Go. Let what? It Go. Yeah, yeah. by Adele Dazim. Adina Menzel. As John Travolta pronounced it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrongly. <laughs> well, we, we all know Frozen wasn't actually meant to be seen anyway. They just made it to distract from the fact that people were Googling Walt Disney Frozen. Is that that's true? Oh, yeah. That's a conspiracy. That's, that is so a good now conspiracy. The movie comes up when they Google those words together. Hey. You okay. know? Uh number one at the box office, ride along. With Ice Cube and Kevin Hart. Really? The, the classic, classic comedy. 
<laughs> that everyone loves and remembers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it is in its third week and still at number one, which is... Uh, I've never seen this movie. Yeah, I haven't either. I have a friend who was in Ride Along 2. Oh. Not the first one, though. The no. squeakle. Couldn't make the first one. That no. Because no. it was so a- action star-packed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so many laughs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on TV in the world of sports, Super Bowl forty-eight, the Seattle Seahawks defeated the Denver Broncos 43-8. to that's not even a close game. Yeah, no, no, the first snap of the game was over Peyton Manning's head, and they got a safety. Um, this took place at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, which is the Meadowlands. It's home to the Giants and the Jets. Uh, yes, the Giants and the Jets play in New Jersey, even though they're called the New York Giants and New York Jets. Uh, and it's the first Cold City Super Bowl. I've so, been to the Meadowlands. I, I fell down going up an escalator there because I was so drunk. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And it wouldn't be the last cold Super Bowl because in 2018, it took place in Minneapolis. Ooh, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Great stadium. Went there this year. Really? Go that was, That was you? That was me. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. So there we have it. Yeah. That is the pop culture flash. We are caught up. Yeah. And with that. With that. Why don't we get started? Let's dive in, baby. Wait. Philip Hoffman was born July 23rd, 1967, in Fairport. And that's a suburb of Rochester, New York. Uh, well, you got to say, yeah, New York, because I think there's a Fairport, Connecticut also. there, Yeah, there's a lot of ports over there. Yeah. Is that like Springfield, where there's a ton of different yeah. versions? Yeah, that's true, too, yeah. And apparently Rochester is the optical capital of the United States. That sounds weird. Because Xerox was there. Oh, you got okay. Kodak. And the Cinemascope lens was invented there. Oh, wow. Well, Boston had Polaroid, so we used to like the, the in Kodak? Uh, I don't know. I guess Kodak is Rochester, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. we'll Boston down Polaroid. So yeah. we like to think we had a little bit of rivalry yeah. going on here. <laughs> a rivalry nobody was asking <laughs> yeah. about. Very one-sided. Yeah, Kodachrome, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a very outdated version of uh, <laughs> pictures. And yeah, they're actually kind of basically out of business now. So. Yeah. Bostonians were just looking for a reason to fight. I think Rochester won in the end. Yeah. 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 We were the drunken people at the bar, after the bar. That uh, threw some bad haymakers and we lost. Yeah. Rochester's like, whoa, whoa, you don't have to swing at me. <laughs> yeah. I don't even care that you have Polaroid. Yeah, I got I got five feet on you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and your breath smells. Yeah. Get out of here. Philip's dad worked at Xerox. Oh. He was a company man. Oh, wow. Really? And his mom was an elementary school teacher. That seems like a solid family, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for now. Okay. Oh, she boy. later became a family court judge, by the way. Ooh. That could mom. be bad, though. That could be disastrous if you divorce a woman who's a family court judge. Yeah. You're like, you're, you're screwed. Yeah. Dude. Kill yourself. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they divorced before that, though, when Philip was nine. Oh, okay. And he was raised primarily by his mom, whose name is Marilyn O'Connor. 
Ooh, O'Connor. O'Connor, we can't have you. We can't have you, O'Connor. <laughs> so we got another dad that's out of the picture. Papa was a Rolling Stone, yeah, I guess. Damn. Like Lil Peep. But he worked at Xerox. He's not like a rock and roll dad. He's a yeah. Xerox man. <laughs> Make yeah. Copies. At least. Copies, Mr. Sima <laughs> If your dad ran off with a rock band, that's kind of cool. Yeah. But if he works at Xerox. <laughs> Just yeah. to go get beers at the Chili's with the co-workers <laughs> after yeah. Xerox working eight hours a day. That's depressing. Yeah, he, he brings his new girlfriend to TGI Fridays. <laughs> yeah. You see him across the room, like, oh, God. Yeah, my dad's wild. <laughs> <laughs> He's buying Long Island iced teas for the room. <laughs> <laughs> so Phil and his mom were very close. They went to plays together. They watched sports together. And seeing a production of Arthur Miller's All My Sons, changed his life Whoa. so the mom kind of probably didn't get another guy and was kind of lonely and just her and her son just hung out and you know went to went into the city a lot yeah it seems like into the optical capital of the united states Ooh. well i i am sure they went to down in new york yes, also that's it <laughs> yeah wait rochester didn't have the hottest plays i'm assuming no <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and phil uh was the second of four kids, by the way. Wow. All raised by her. Wow. Remarkable. Busy house. Yeah. All while being a judge. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> that was later. Okay. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Phil went to Fairport High School. He was very popular, as you could probably guess. Sure. And he was a sports guy into wrestling, football, and baseball. However... There was a serious neck injury when he was 14. So serious that if he had continued, it could have been paralysis. Oof. So he was like like the Jennifer Grey story. I don't know if you remember that, but she was basically um, almost lost her head. Like she was like um, like her most of her head, like her spinal cord was like chopped off, but she was still living somehow. Her doctor told remember her doctor said, if you got in a bad car accident, your head would get severed off. This Jennifer Gray. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer Gray. Yeah. yeah, Because of the whiplash. Yeah. With the car wreck. Yeah. Yeah. You can be like living in like you're you're almost decapitated, basically. Yeah. (laughs) I don't I don't understand it. But yeah. He wasn't that bad. <laughs> Not that bad. <laughs> but it was bad enough that he quit sports. And he pivoted to... Drugs. Theater. Oh, theater. That's better. <laughs> That's later. That's more positive. <laughs> Legend has it that he had a crush on one of the girls in the school play. And that's why he joined. Ooh. So much of like endeavors into the arts is just trying to get... Some check. Trying to get pussed. <laughs> Try to, oh my yeah, get laid. Try to get laid and paid. <laughs> Try to get some trim. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what, that's what uh, theater guys say all the time. <laughs> he starred in a play at the age of 16 after a few minor roles. And you know what this play was? What, Grease? Death of a Salesman. Ooh. Oh, okay. He played Willie Loman. Arthur Miller strikes again. Is that the dad? Yeah, that's the main character. Wow, that's yeah. a big role for someone that age. <laughs> the downtrodden yeah. salesman. Very sad role for someone like that. Yeah. At the end of his life. Yeah. End, end of, his, of his rope. End of his rope salesman. Yeesh. Yeah, he's been laid off. He was like pretending to go to work and stuff. Yeah, and people couldn't believe this kid could pull off that role. Yeah. He was like out the gate. He was like a natural. 
Yeah, they're like, who is this guy? Yeah. Doing a convincing Willie Loman at age 16. Yeah, that's insane. That's like <laughs> Where do bizarre. you find that, you yeah. know? A boy genius or something right. that's able to kind of pull that off. It just seemed like frightening if you're watching it. And 25 years later, he would reprise that role of Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman on Broadway, Ooh. directed by Mike Nichols. Really? He would also receive a Tony nomination for that. Wow. Didn't win? He never won a Tony, which is that's blasphemy. Awful. And some reviews said that he was too young at forty-four to play Willie Loman, which is funny because he played it at sixteen. These yeah. people are insane. <laughs> Cut the guy a break. He's doing a great job here. <laughs> you can't please everybody. Yeah. No. Well, I would I would compare like the critics to the Broadway plays in New York are like the critics of um, Boston sports fans. You're never going to please them ever. Mm, yeah. And it's like really tough to win them over. Yeah, they know everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 1984, he went to the New York State Summer School of the Arts in Saratoga Springs. That's a mouthful. There he met lifelong pals Bennett Miller and Dan Futterman. I've and, heard of them. And did he meet someone else notable or was that later? Uh, Wait, who? You? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I, I guess it was around this time that um, he did go to my summer camp. He was one of the counselors there. Okay. Uh, and what was your summer camp called then? My summer camp was called East Boston Summer Camps. Okay. So it must have been after this first summer. Yeah. I think he was there at the same time as me around 86, 87, 88 or something. Uh, well, the picture we have up right now is is him with my uh, counselor, Billy Morris, from East Boston Camps. And I think him and Billy actually went to Boston University together. Oh, so wow. that that's what brought him in the picture. And I think Billy was like, hey, um, I run this camp. It's actually in Westford, Mass., which is, you know, like I would say like 25 minutes outside of Boston. He's like, hey, you should come and do this for a couple summers or, you know, come be a counselor for a little bit. You'll get some money. We have a good time. You know, I remember these counselors. They they had a great time. They got hammered <laughs> all the time. They got ridiculously drunk all the time. It's the 80s, baby. Yeah. yeah and it's swing the, in the 80s. The story of the young working actor. Yeah. And I think he was, yeah, probably trying to save some money to go do summer stock or whatever he was doing the mm -hmm. next year or going up to Saratoga. Yeah. And. I, I, I kind of, I a little bit remember him. I was young. I was like seven or eight years old, so I don't remember much about it. But and I, it's not like you're aware that it's he's this force. No, no, he and he he's not like, you know, acting as Willie Loman at the camp. So I don't really know he's like a <laughs> trained actor or anything. I don't and I don't know really know anything about him. I just know he's a guy that's that's kind of out of place here because it's a very working class camp. Yeah. And he he's not like a from a privileged background, but he kind of, he wears that, you know, like that's what he, he feels like. Do you remember like the time that you realized who he was like, Oh shit. Like I know I met that guy uh, in 2014 when he died. Oh wow. That took you that long. It took me that well, because I, I didn't really pay attention to that camp that I went to and I, I didn't really think much of it. And then I saw this picture posted, um, uh, from a friend 
a friend of a friend posted it on my wall on Facebook. Remember, people just post pictures on your wall, and most of the time it's annoying. But but this time I'm like, oh my <laughs> god, consensual posting it, too. It, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It brought me back to you know this time when yeah he was one of my counselors at this camp, and I didn't even think about it until wow. then. And it, since then I did do a deep dive. There there's an East Boston camps like Facebook group. I did some. During the pandemic, I went crazy like yeah. multiple times. <laughs> like I'm like, what am I? What what have I done with my life? You know, and just like looked at everything, and I found some pictures of me from this camp, and I also uh, refound this one of uh, of Philip here and Billy. This is um, them two. I think they went to Germany uh, together oh, nice. uh, one year when they weren't going to East Boston camps. They were just hanging out there. He's got a luscious haircut. Yeah, that. he does. <laughs> he never utilized that ever again, the long hair. He, was... he did in some roles. Did yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, in Boogie Nights. Yeah. That's right. I, I totally forgot about we'll that. We'll get to Boogie Nights. Yeah. Uh, and there's one more here, Kyle, of... Uh, um, he's not in this one. I, I tried to find a picture with me, with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman from camp, but I couldn't find one. Um but yeah, this is one of just me and some, some kids. Wait, which one are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me see. These are I not, really can't tell right now. Some kid's got a Bart Simpson t-shirt on, which is like a very low quality version. <laughs> but no, I, I really am on the on the, the far left side there. Oh, that is you. That is Can me. you zoom in a little, Kyle? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you're on the far right, right? No, far right. Yeah, I didn't, oh, know, okay. what, I didn't know what perspective you had. Far there. right. Let me yeah. see this. There he is. That's you. This was a camp primarily of like uh, Italian kids from East Boston that yeah. uh, that it was like a foundation set up for get them out of the city for the summer and go to this uh, camp, which was a little bit outside of the city. And yeah, um, that gentleman that um, <laughs> who's sweat stain, I'm casually just laying on there. Um, unfortunately, that kid, I uh, came back the next year and uh, I found out he had passed away. Like a week before I had gotten there, he uh, drowned actually in the lake in, uh, in Westford, Massachusetts there. That yeah. recently after that? Yeah. Less than a year later? Yeah. Oh, that, wow. His name was Dennis. I remember him. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, very sad. That um, is sad. This was like my whole bunk here. And it was just like, you know, I, it, it was a good time. I, I, I don't remember anything really too bad about this camp. There was a bunch of Irish immigrants that they brought over to be the counselors, oh. to, obviously, they were working for nothing, basically. And, I, and they were fine. Get to bed, you little rat. Yeah, they were crazy. This is not like the, the normal nice Irish people you meet. These are like, you know, the people from, like, you know, the, the weeds of yeah. Ireland. That, yeah. One I saw beat up some kid in the showers one time, and, like, it got really crazy. But uh, oh my but God. for the most part, it was a nice uh fun camp we had there. Yeah, you yeah. have kids dying early. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Shower beatings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds like sleepers the way yeah. I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, full metal jacket. Yeah. <laughs> A Cronenberg movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With five, Vigo Mortensen as the counselor. Five kids died at season. Big deal, you know? Yeah. Okay. Jeffrey Jones was traipsing around. But yeah, I w- I w- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's the camp director. Yeah. <laughs> Buffalo Bill is my uh, <laughs> Another one of my counselors, he's doing the, I'd fuck me. <laughs> so no recollection of 
you had to go to the bathroom, so you asked Phil Hoffman, and he was like, "The bathroom's right over there." Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't, I don't remember him. Uh, I, I, I feel like he could have been there, but I don't specifically remember uh, interactions with him. But I, I do because re- we had a big like mess hall, and I, I, I can remember kind of that he was definitely in that space. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Wow. That's my connection to Philip Seymour Hoffman wrapped up for you. Thank you for sharing. Of course. <laughs> so he's up in Saratoga. Last we last we caught up with him. Yes. Yeah, lots of summer acting workshops and camps and whatnot. Well, that's what you do when you're an up and coming actor. Like that generation that actually works for it. You know, like like your Alec Baldwin's and like people that came up in the New York acting scene. You actually, you know, you try your ass off in stage acting before you even think of doing a movie. Oh, yeah. if you haven't done Shakespeare in the Park, uh, yeah, forget about going for the Law and Order role. No, y- you have to pay your dues I- yeah. if you're a New York actor, and that's what casting agents are looking for. Yeah, that that's what all those people that did Oz, Law and Order, all that stuff. You know, they yeah. they all came up in that kind of uh, track. Phil Hoffman ended up graduating from NYU, Tisch School of the Arts. He actually quit drinking around this time. Because at the age of 22, he entered rehab. He told Steve Croft in a 60 Minutes interview that at that time, his drug use was advanced. Advanced. And he would just <laughs> literally do everything. I like these little keywords. Clearly, he's doing heroin and coke. And yeah. Like, like, to crazy extents. Yeah. Like, he yeah. said he would snort everything and anything. Wow. Imagine that like... I don't know. I've never had an addiction like that, but imagine just being able to not stop yourself like that. And then to quit like that so young Mm. before really you're successful. Yeah. Because he says that if he was successful any earlier, he would have been dead. A lot of people say that. I heard, Mm -hmm. I just heard Christoph Waltz on uh, Bill Maher talking about that actually. Oh, wow. He he got success later in life. And he's like, if I didn't, I probably would have uh, been a disaster and done something very bad because I was doing a lot of stuff in my 20s, if wow. you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I'll say the same thing about myself. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Although I, I still have another 10 years to go before yeah. I'm successful. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a clip of him talking about his addiction. Yes. Fresh Air with Terry Gross. What do you do when, like, you see people like really enjoying their wine and their beer or their, you know, cognac or whatever. Like, do you resent it? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you have to, does it make well, you feel I resentful that there's just like great breathing, pleasure out there was and like, you me can't up. have yeah. any? Well, I don't think it's a great pleasure. A couple of glasses of wine is, you know, not interesting to me at all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That, that's what I meant by it's not a great. It's, a, right, it's not always. Right. A, it's not right. a great pleasure for me to have a couple of glasses of wine. That just that's kind of annoying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, why aren't you having the whole bottle? Right, I got <laughs> that's it. Much, that's much more pleasurable. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's somebody who doesn't understand that. They just don't understand it. You know, they're just – so if I see somebody really enjoying their one glass of wine and walking away, then that's what they enjoy. And so, But I can't be resentful of that because that's not enjoyable to me. Wow. I mean, I can kind of see it both ways, though. I could see, like, having a couple glasses of wine or beers or something and not drinking all of them and also drinking all of them. <laughs> like, but yeah, I, don't, I, I don't... have different 
aspects of both for yeah. sure. Yeah. Sometimes a Big Mac is the most boring thing in the world to me. Yeah. But two Big Macs. <laughs> yeah. Give me the buffet. <laughs> I know. Because like that's what like um addiction is. Like you don't yeah. like eating like that, you know, you don't wait until a half an hour until you actually you feel satisfied from that food already that you because you don't need anymore. Right. But you just you know, you just you just have that feeling craving like me with the the peanut butter pretzels that I don't need. Yeah. <laughs> that I keep eating uh, in between takes here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I could see kind of uh, what he means by that. Everything is excessive. Yeah. And actually, that's exactly what the problem was for Phil Hoffman. To quote him, he kills pleasure. So he would drink too much coffee, drink the pot of coffee, and find a way to ruin that even. Wow. Yeah, like nothing was done in a ordinary amount. You gotta know your limits, especially with coffee. Like two cups, and you're fine. Like anything more than that, you're chasing it, <laughs> chasing the dragon. <laughs> so post rehab, he his entire focus changed to acting, and it became a new kind of addiction. Early on, he appeared nude in King Lear. Ooh. He was fearless. Did anyone ask him to do that? Yeah. <laughs> no, in fact, they told him to put his clothes on. Yeah. His first credit in TV or movies, Law and Order. Yeah, uh, I remember him in this. That's the gateway for every New York actor. They have to run through Law and Order. Absolutely. And he was credited as Philip Hoffman. He later added the Seymour... For as his middle name because of union rules. If you can believe it, there was a theater star named Philip Hoffman that was getting a lot of accolades. Ooh. And they would get each other's checks. Really? So, yeah, the union <laughs> told him. I'd be cashing him. him. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe he was making more than him with Law yeah, and Order. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> and after Law and Order, he has his big break that he says changed everything. Much like the play he saw with his mom earlier on that he also said changed everything. Yeah, everything changed everything. Scent of a woman. Ooh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we got a movie here. Hey. I'm ready for this one. Okay. Al Pacino is <laughs> a blind asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and it was his first Oscar, I believe. Wow. Uh, Pacino? Yeah. I yeah, which is shocking. He was nominated before, but this was his first win, Best Actor. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I'm blind. I tried out a new voice and it worked, okay? <laughs> and famously, hoo-ah. hoo Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Goo, she's hot. So Hoffman plays a student at Bard who is there with Chris O'Donnell's character, mm -hmm. the main protagonist. And Phil was credited as Philip S. Hoffman. Ooh, he's no his way up. yet. Yeah. He auditioned five times to get the role. Oh my God. Wow. And it really kicked things off. Future collaborator Paul Thomas Anderson, in his interview on WTF with Mark Marin, he said, quote, When I saw him there for the first time in scent of a woman, I just knew what true love was. I knew what love at first sight was. It was the strangest feeling sitting in a movie theater and thinking, he's for me and I'm for him. And that was it. Wow. End quote. I kind of remember that interview, but that's so... 
Much. It's a little much. (laughs) (laughs) Al Pacino wasn't even that great in that movie. (laughs) Dial it down a little, Paul Thomas Anderson. Whoa. And what is uh, Chris O'Donnell chopped liver? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like he didn't even. No one had any respect for Chris O'Donnell ever. (laughs) You didn't see Chris O'Donnell in Licorice Pizza or Boogie Nights. No, no, or his kids anywhere. Yeah. Well, I, I, my thing with uh, Chris O'Donnell is I, I always say he was just a placeholder until we got Matt Damon. He was just like, once we had Matt Damon, they're like, we don't need you anymore, Chris O'Donnell. It's been fun. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, Chris O'Donnell. Doesn't sound as good. No. Yeah. And so he rode the wave of Scent of a Woman and appeared in My Boyfriend's Back, Nobody's Fool with Paul Newman, and When a Man Loves a Woman with Meg Ryan as an alcoholic. Ooh. And in that picture... He was finally credited with his full name, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, wow. 1995, Phil Hoffman joined the Labyrinth Theater Company, like the David Bowie movie. And on their website, their mission is, quote, founded in 1992 by a small group of actors who wanted to push their artistic limits and tell more inclusive stories that expanded the boundaries of mainstream theater. Inclusive, like more white people, <laughs> <laughs> much more white people. It, yeah. it sounds like you know that that's what people do is like everyone's following the Steppenwolf kind of you know way of doing. I'm sure Steppenwolf didn't create like you know doing like an artist collective of actors and stuff, but a lot of people do that just kind of start a theater and stuff. They would aspire to be Steppenwolf. Ste- Obviously, yeah. this one of the more make it high profile ones, yeah, as big as Steppenwolf. No, but- it doesn't sound like it. I thought we were talking about the uh, American-Canadian rock band that sang Born to be Wild. Yeah, Magic Carpet Ride <laughs> Band. No, it's different. Steppenwolf started it all. Yeah. <laughs> Hoffman later became artistic co-director, and he would direct and star in various plays out of that theater. And in 2010, he actually utilized the entire troupe of actors and crew and directed his one and only movie, called Jack Goes Boating, <laughs> co-starring Amy Ryan and She's great. John Ortiz, who was also running the theater. He's great also. Um, and Jack Goes Boating based on an off-Broadway play. I never watched this. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's like an awkward love story about a couple of shy people. I, yeah, I couldn't see him directing like a rom com or anything. Like, it, no. it's definitely going to be some like heady kind of dark, character driven, uh, you know, uh, mood moody type of piece or something. Think John Cassavetes presents Love on the Spectrum. Oh my god, <laughs> that's what this <laughs> that movie sounds like is. a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> it really. <laughs> It generally received positive reviews, especially for the main actors. So there you go. He loved that theater, always was involved with it somehow. And his only movie is basically a love letter to that theater. Well, but he also went to Hollywood. And in 1996, he appeared in a little movie called Twister. Mm where he played a storm chaser. And of that experience, he remembers there were a lot of other young actors, and it was a blast. And do you want to hear a little bit of trivia? Yes, please. 
there were a bunch of scenes that were deleted with him and Carrie Elwes. Yeah. Who you I met him. Met him I yeah. met him at a at a table read one time and he was a very, very nice guy. Oh, nice. Very good guy. And their scenes were deleted because of profanity, because the studio decided to change the rating from R to PG thirteen. Wow. Well, Helen Hunt I, I, is more of a PG thirteen type of actor. I feel like because of Mad About You. And yeah, all that. and Paul Ryan. <laughs> people coming from Mad About You to go see this movie, they're like, "Oh my God, what's with this F word?" <laughs> Another piece of trivia is in the theatrical version. There's a scene where Hoffman is sitting on a lawn chair. And there's a brief moment where his genitals are exposed. Oh, Ooh. Jesus. It's like and Rodney Dangerfield. They later erased it from the home video release. Not this to whole be... lawn chair's out of order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Philip, you're really showing the whole show there. Yeah. Like, what do you think this is? King Lear? <laughs> this is a tornado movie. Put your sack away. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if you're a New York actor. Yeah. <laughs> Can't have that here. Followed that with Heart Eight, his first movie with Paul Thomas Anderson. PTA. Also happened to be P.T. Anderson's first movie. Ooh. Yeah. I remember him as like the the big high roller in the in like the shitty Reno casino. Yeah, craps player. Craps player who keeps shitting on uh Jerry uh the 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 main guy, Philip uh Baker Hall. Phil yeah. Yeah. And he's keeps calling him old timer. He's like, Ain't that right, old timer? <laughs> <laughs> he was great. It kind of so reminded me of later on when he did Punch Drug Love, like kind of like that asshole, like horrible character. Right. A year later, 1997, he did another movie with P.T. Anderson that we all know and love called Boogie Nights. Oh, my Ooh. God. This is this is when he came on my radar. Yeah. I, after being at camp with him, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if I, if I had known that that guy was at my camp <laughs> at that age, I'd be like, You could have oh gotten God. a smooch from him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you might have had a chance. Yeah. <laughs> he would have went for me, I think. Boogie Nights in an ensemble that is just insane. Where yeah. Everybody it's hard to stick is out. amazing. Yeah. Somehow Hoffman stole the show as Scotty, the boom operator who is looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. I just remember him, I just remember him saying, I'm sorry, man. I'm just so drunk. When he tries to make out with yeah. Dirt Diggler, I'm just so drunk, man. I'm, I, I'm just so drunk. I'm sorry, man. And then he's like, or if you want, you can kiss me. <laughs> and Dirk Tickler's like, yo, man, no, I don't want to kiss you. <laughs> yeah. But we're still friends. It's cool. Yeah. And then he goes and balls his eyes out in the car. He's by like, you fucked up, man. Yeah, yeah. He like loses his shit. Fucked up. So much pain. Yeah. Yeah. I, Mark Wahlberg must have hated that scene, too, because he's like, seems like someone that doesn't go down for shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Although he was pretty game for that movie. I guess so. Because <laughs> it launched him. There'd be no Planet of the Apes remake. <laughs> Where Boogie would we Nights. be without that? <laughs> yeah. There would be no Daddy's Home 2. Yeah. Without that. <laughs> no guy who said he could uh, stop 9 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No Transformers 3. <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, where was? <laughs> oh yeah, we we're talking about Boogie Nights, but you know, a stellar performance amongst many great performances. And after this, he establishes himself as a go-to character actor. Yeah, a studio had told him, you know what, you're always going to be working because they need guys like you in Hollywood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, yeah, you he, may not be the main star, but you are going to work because you're so versatile. You know. Yeah. And 
Hoffman had no aspirations to be a movie star anyway. Again, it's that New York actor thing where they, they want to go to their coffee shop and not be recognized. You yeah. Know? So Hoffman would often play flawed, offbeat characters rather than the traditional hero. And we have a clip here about him talking about his acting process. To act really well takes a tremendous amount of focus and concentration. It really, it really does. There's a kind of sharpness of concentration that you have to hold over a period of time. That's, that's, that is really difficult to do. And so I find that I have to kind of go there. I have to kind of fully go there. I can't kind of half go there, three quarters go there. Right. If I'm, if I'm half or three quarters, I'm really bad. There's no mm. middle ground for me. <laughs> that's uh, like his, you know, substance intake. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's nothing halfway. Exactly. It's all the same job. He's got to jump in like crazy. Mm -hmm. Clues you in, too, on why he's so entertaining to watch. Like, he is giving you everything. Yeah. He's cutting out his heart and putting it on a plate for (laughs) you. Yeah. That can only last so long, though. I feel like if you you are like that, you know, you you can't just uh, give everything to the role every single time. I don't know. 1998 would prove to be a big year for him. He did the indie comedy Next Stop Wonderland. Then he did The Big Lebowski. Oh, my God. He played Jeffrey Lebowski's henchman. Brant. Brant. Yeah. (laughs) Brant explained it to you. What else do you need to know? (laughs) Totally unfazed by anything happening around him, by the insanity of this story. Yeah. And uh, just... I don't know. It, it was smile talker. Yeah, he. Yeah, just like that weird HR guy. <laughs> it's that weird HR guy that knives you in the back. Maybe that's like his dad at, at working at Xerox or something. <laughs> and that's like, basically what they do to the dude later on in the movie. Yeah, they just they totally set him up. Yeah, brilliant. Her life is in your hands, dude. <laughs> just, man, remember him saying that to him over and over after they give him that briefcase <laughs> full of fake money. Her the- life is in your hand. Uh, Mr. Lebowski wanted me to, to say that a couple of times. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, man, that just, that's not cool. <laughs> and continuing in 1998, Patch Adams. He played Robin Williams' roommate, long-suffering roommate, yeah. Mitch. This is a, a bad decision, in my opinion. And what does he say in it, Kyle? Uh, he said he's just mad at... Robin Williams for just being a clown instead of an actual doctor. And he's saying, yes, I might be a dick, but if uh, if I'm dying, I'd rather have the dick <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing surgery on my brain than a guy wearing a make- clown makeup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't buy into the whole being a clown cures cancer thing. I'm sorry. I agree, though. I, I love Robin Williams, but this is just a bad idea for a movie. You know, <laughs> I think we should really be examining our healthcare system here and not uh, having clowns doing surgery on people. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Call a me crazy, crazy movie. It's, a, it's absurd. And then to end 1998, he appeared in Happiness. Oh my God. <laughs> this is a wild one. Perhaps one of the creepiest characters in cinema history. And this is in a movie Chuck where there's Cole. also a pedophile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Todd Solon's director from the from the, the fun, wacky mind of Todd Solon's. <laughs> yeah. The depraved fun, wacky mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> I my a good friend of mine was was uh, recommending this to a girl recently. I'm like, are you oh ins- my god, are you an insane she, person? It's a great date movie. Yeah. What are you talking about? 
<laughs> oh yeah. You want a you want a happiness and chill yeah. on my couch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in the beginning, uh, he's at the therapist's office, going like, "Look, I know I'm boring. You don't have to lie to me. I know I'm boring. People tune out." And then, of course, then it zooms in on the therapist, and you hear his thoughts going like, "Okay, I need to buy a gallon of milk." Yeah, yeah. he totally zoned out. <laughs> I feel like they stole that for something about Mary. Remember the yeah. uh, therapist and that was just—he's coming back in from the <laughs> yeah. bathroom. Yeah, he was in. eating a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And later, he makes obscene phone calls to his neighbor that he has a crush on. Yeah. Um, and according to IMDb, he based his character off of Ralph Reed, the founder of the Christian Coalition yeah. and a famous Republican politician. Yeah. Which is interesting. Well, a lot of these, uh, you know, these these Christ, you know, ministers are secretly scoundrels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think he's playing that that kind of into the role, maybe. Hoffman appeared in this documentary called The Party's Over about the 2000 election. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Wow. Yeah. And he, he basically plays the role of a concerned citizen, but it's himself. It's a documentary. Yeah. And the director is Donovan Leach, who is the son of the Donovan. Oh, Mellow really? Yellow. Yeah. Well, his, his sister is um, Ioni Scott, I think, which was also Donovan's daughter, who was married to the Beastie Boy, um, Adam Horowitz, for a while. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Little uh, little trivia for you. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, this movie, he goes all over the place, culminating in him going to the Republican convention in Los Angeles. Really? And who does he meet there but Ralph Reed, who <laughs> proceeds to tell him that happiness is, if not his favorite, one of his favorite movies. What? And we have a clip. He's still off and over. You were in, uh, I mean, you've been in everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in um, uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a yeah, big yeah. fan of oh, you. Oh, thanks, thanks. I think you're one of the best character actors in Hollywood. Oh, I, I mean think, that. Thank you very much. You, you do great work. Have you been here for the past five days? Yeah. Just so no, I've been here all week. I'll just say. I've been to a ton of your movies. <laughs> you, must, you work like a dog. I mean, you're in everything. I work too much. How's the convention been for you? It's been great. It's been fabulous. Yeah? Yeah. They're voting him in right now, right? Yeah. Anyway, you keep doing what you're doing. Oh, uh, you too. You're a fabulous actor. Oh, thanks for having me. You're a fabulous He's actor. He's looking him up and down there. Yeah, yeah that's that little... weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say to that? I, I still found it very ballsy that they had that RNC convention in, uh, in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> I remember raging against the machine, you know, playing a... Uh, you know, a concert outside of there to protest it. Yeah. yeah there yeah. was a lot of protesting going on. Well, that. he won, allegedly. You know, well, I don't think he won, but... Yeah. yeah. We won't get into that. Yeah. And 9-11 happened uh, the next year. Uh, well, let's not get into that either. <laughs> so Donovan Leach, the director, he says that Phil was awesome to work with, you know, a good friend of his, but... Some of that intensity would boil over into anger on occasion because he tells a story how at the convention, um, Philip had his mom come out, you know, to be there. Yeah. And they couldn't find exactly where she was. He was kind of lost inside the convention hall. And so the production assistants or whoever's job it is to coordinate all these people was not doing a good job. No, and he blew up at Donovan's girlfriend. 
Oh, really? In a really over-the-top way. No shit. Yeah, so, you know, well, is nice it guy, but there was a rage there. Yeah. Well, he could have been, I don't know, uh, he could have been using maybe also. He maybe was, he was coming off of something. or From he, what I know, he was sober during this time. Okay. The whole time, actually, until he wasn't. Yeah. So the, Later like, on. Throughout the 90s and the 2000s, yep. he was doing great. Happiness, boogie nights, all that. He's sober. Wow. Donovan made a note to himself, don't piss this guy off. Yeah. 1999, uh, the train keeps rolling. He appeared with one of his idols, Robert De Niro, (laughs) in in Joel Schumacher's Flawless, and he played a drag queen. I remember that movie. And and De Niro's uh, security guard who's really homophobic and has a stroke, and so Hoffman has to nurse him back to half. He has got like Bell's palsy where like half his face is like, yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) Hoffman is like, la, 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 Tito. Yeah. And and he was like, you fucking... Yeah. <laughs> that was the entire premise. Uh, gay guy and guy that don't yeah. like gay guy. That's yeah. like uh, so many movies. Yeah. Cut an hour off, it's a sitcom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really good performance, though, I have to say. Both of them, yeah. yeah. Um, talented Mr. Ripley. Hoffman played Freddie Miles, Ivy League rich boy who hates... Matt Damon, and he, can you blame him? <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> he fits into that role very well. I, I was like, like I was saying before, a guy of affluence. That whole movie makes me so nervous. Oh, it's such an uncomfortable it's so, movie. It's such an uncomfortable yeah. movie. And it's so crazy. Ralph Reed loves it. So Happiness. But yeah, he loves that too. Yeah, yeah. But Happiness was, he remember, his favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> what a psycho. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who would admit to that? Yeah. Even if it was your favorite. Yeah, yeah. Magnolia, that was also 1999. Yeah. Phil Parma, the nurse. And yep. this really is the one Jason I think. Jason Robard. I think this sealed the deal where Hoffman is a versatile character actor. Yeah. Who not only will blend into the ensemble, but at the same time completely stick out and be memorable. Because yeah. the level of empathy that this nurse has in that movie is yeah you can just feel it i mean he's he's desperately trying to get a hold of tom cruise yeah to say that his dad who um ditched tom cruise as a kid is dying yeah and you know even though this guy is not a likable figure the nurse still has compassion yeah yeah i I remember that he he was great at like um he stayed in that same location the entire movie. Yeah, like he's he, just in he's the just trying he's just trying to make phone calls and get. At some point, he's trying to get like uh, dirty magazines, like smut. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Can you get me a uh, penthouse uh, hustler?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." They deliver all that stuff, and that's why he goes to find the Frank Mackey ads so he can call and actually get right. connection with. And you know, Tom Cruise is amazing in that. Too. Amazing, and and yeah. he sets that into motion. The nurse. The yeah. meeting at the he end. He does, yeah. yeah. I remember when Tom Cruise came into the house, he goes, any of those dogs touch me, I'm going to drop kick them. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he says that and a I couple agree. times, I too. agree, because those yeah. dogs, yeah, so he's like, I'm going to repeat this again. <laughs> any of those dogs touch me, I'm going to drop kick them and kill them or something. And then in 2000, Hoffman played against type. You know, he's been building, well, I guess not so much the nurse, because he continues that track as sensitive screenwriter 
in David Mamet's or David Mamet's state in Maine. <laughs> yeah. And he's also Rebecca Pigeon's love interest in the movie. Yeah. So who, it's, who's it's, David Mamet's uh real uh, life real life wife. Uh, wife? And I say I say Mamet because I, I did have a professor um at a uh <laughs> not so prestigious Massachusetts University who said he was friends with David Mamet and he kept calling him David Mamet like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> like Anne Heck. Yeah, like Anne Heck. <laughs> like another film uh, professor of mine who was ridiculous. Oh, my but, God. Yeah, not good professors I had. And then also in 2000, you know, one of my favorite roles of his, almost famous. Oh, yeah. Rock he... journalist Lester Bangs, who mentors young William Miller. Yeah. Budding. Rock and roll's old writer. Man. Exactly. It's too <laughs> bad you stash. missed it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't do stash. a good film. You do a, a good film, Seymour Hoffman, I think. You well, do a good you voice. Know, I, yeah. I do what I can. Yeah. You show up. <laughs> uh, on the set of this movie, Philip Seymour Hoffman had the flu the entire time. I mean, he only spent four days shooting, but still, that yeah. whole part, he was sick. And listen to this. Ironically, the real Lester Bangs, who the character, you know, who he plays, it's based on him. The real guy died young of an overdose in 1982. Damn. And in his system were opioids, benzos, and NyQuil. And why was he taking all that? To combat the flu. Mm. So the real Lester Bangs died while he had the flu overdosing on drugs and playing him in the movie now philip seymour hoffman has the flu that's crazy yes and of course we all know he also died of a drug overdose but i'm ahead of myself oh wait let's hear a little of this famous clip see friendship is the booze they feed you they want you to get drunk and feeling like you belong well it was fun because they make you feel cool Hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. <laughs> Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't. Right, because we are uncool. Now, while women will always be a problem for guys like us, most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Good-looking people, they got no spine. Their art never lasts. And he goes on to say, the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Uh, Cameron Crowe wrote that, of course, based on based his on experience. Himself, yeah. And he called Phil Hoffman an actor's actor. Yeah. 2002, Phil Hoffman finally had his first starring role in Love, Liza, a movie written by his older brother, Gordy. I remember hearing about this. He huffs gas in the movie. Nice. After his wife dies. Jesus. That's the log line. Nice. <laughs> That's the log line. Get out of here. <laughs> then he appeared in Brett Ratner's Red Dragon. <laughs> oh, God. Brett Ratner. You With... go from P.T. Anderson, Cameron Crowe to Brett Ratner. Yeah, you're like, I'm on the downward <laughs> Yeah, I thought I was an up and coming hey, actor yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> Sir Anthony Hopkins showed up on the set during one of his off days just so he could watch Hoffman work. Mm. He's a fan of actors. I heard he wrote an entire letter to Brian Cranston after he watched Breaking Bad about, about wow. how great his performance was. That's awesome. I wanted to eat your performance with five <laughs> beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> 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 uh, 
And also in 2002, 25th Hour, another fucking great movie. Banger movie. One of my favorite movies, Spike Lee, I agree. It doesn't get much better than 25th Hour. Yeah, I heard Edward Norton's a pain in the ass, but I I do like that movie. Well, when you get the right performance out of him, maybe it was worth it. It could be. I don't know. But um, yeah, he plays uh, his friend in it. Yeah, Edward Norton's yeah. going to jail. He's kind of a schlubby bum friend that who's like who comes for money. Who has a crush on one of his students? Yes, played by Anna Paquin, mm-hmm. who I found out was from New Zealand recently. Yes, yeah. oh, Kiwi, huh? And lost no, her Kiwi, accent. Right? Lost her accent. She did. And her good roles. Like Austin Butler, <laughs> he's, he lost his acting. He sounds like Elvis now. Yeah, he should lose that <laughs> yeah, accent. Yeah, hey, I don't know. What, what accent? Ooh. <laughs> you don't see Tom Hanks keeping his accent from that movie. From what, Philadelphia? No, from Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he keeps the physique of Philadelphia and the accent of Elvis. Oh, All right. Uh, and then he's as if 2002 <laughs> wasn't great enough. Punch Drunk Love. Get out of town. Playing Dean the Mattress Man. Yeah. He extorts money from Adam Sandler, who calls his scam phone sex line. This is the intensity he got from East Boston camps. He brought into this movie. Yeah. You want to see the, some of this intensity? Let's, Let's watch this Let's after Adam Sandler is confronting him on the phone. Yeah. You're a bad person. You have no right taking people's confidence in your service. You understand me, sir? You're sick. No, no, no. Shut up! Shut the fuck <laughs> up! Right the hair back. Shut up! Will you shut up? Shut up! Shut! 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 Shut up! <laughs> shut <Love> up! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just one of the greatest pieces of audio. Yeah, those. He's great. Like he does a lot of roles like that. His best roles are just in on a phone in a room. <laughs> like, yeah. he, that's all he needs, really. I, it's the yeah. last two clips. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, 2003 onward, owning Mahoney, Cold Mountain, teaming up with Anthony Minghella again from big, Talented Mr. Big Ripley, epic movie. Yeah. Who would die a couple years later. Yeah. And his son director. would live on as an actor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Along came Polly. Yeah. The Sharp movie. That's what I'm talking about. Raindrops. He's shooting basketball. <laughs> yeah. There's a clang. Clang against the backboard. <laughs> just going nowhere. He's all dressed up head to toe, ready to play basketball on the streets of New York, and he sucks. So good. Yeah. He's so funny in that. Former <laughs> child actor in it, right? Yes. Kind of a yeah. failed adult actor. Yeah. Lampooning yeah, yeah. himself a yeah. bit. Kind of sounds like Tim Dillon. And uh, he was friends with Amy Sedaris and appeared in Strangers with Candy, the movie. Oh, did he? Yeah, in 2005. I didn't know he was uh, involved in that whole Sedaris family. (laughs) Well, most people uh, wanted to forget that movie, but the show was great. I never liked it. I never got it. It was, it was just, hilarious. It was a weird girl making weird faces and, and Stephen I'm Colbert. Jerry Blank. Yeah. She just do yeah. this and like, <laughs> all right. We well, David Letterman thought it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. I like this show. <laughs> Gunny gum. Gunny, Gunny gum. Arliss. <laughs> <laughs> all right. After Strangers with the Candy, where can you go but up? <laughs> Capote. 2005. Capote. I remember his, his friends from camp, Dan Futterman. From my, oh, uh, Mark Mulcair? And Bennett Miller. <laughs> ah. Well, Dan wrote a screenplay and he said, hey, Bennett, you should direct this. It's about Truman Capote. 
and In Cold Blood, the making of it. Yeah. Who should we get to play Truman? And then they both paused and they were like, Phil. Oh? Uh-huh. <laughs> was that home improvement? Yeah. <laughs> More power. And as anyone would be, I think, he was apprehensive at taking the role to do a serious drama as Truman Capote because Phil, you know, he's like 5'10", not a really tall guy, but he's a big guy. And he's got a low voice, masculine. Mm-hmm. So he was intimidated to say yes to the role at first. To say yes and to Capote. Ultimately did. Because um, Capote was like a little guy who was like a very high voice like that. Yeah. And let's turn that clip on. In this clip, you'll notice his diminutive figure. <laughs> did I get the word right this time? Yeah. <laughs> but look at how he slumps into the saying, chair. I thought your last book was even better than the first. Mm, thank you. Just when you think they've gotten as good as they can get. Thank you very much. Thank Ma'am. you. Thank you very much. Latka. <laughs> Latka. Catherine you Keener in action. What? You paid him to say that. How did you know? Just when you think they've gotten as good as they can get. I thought that was a good line. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that was too much? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> It's a weird bit Capote plays there where he just has pays someone, unfortunately, some sad sack who has to say you're great. Yeah. Yeah. And on his movies, such as this one, for purely technical reasons, he would stay in character while shooting. He would lose the voice or the, you know, the character if he stopped. Yeah. So uh, he must have been fun to have lunch with, huh? You well, go all in. Are you going to finish that buffalo chicken wrap? <laughs> I got to work tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'm so hungry I could eat at Arby's. <laughs> yeah, that would be obnoxious to keep up. Like, you know, I don't know how long they're, do- they're shooting days. It's got to be shooting for at least two months, though. That'd be awful. <laughs> yeah. But he did win the Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role. And in his speech, he said, quote, my mom's name is Marilyn O'Connor, and she's here tonight. And I'd like, if you see her tonight, to congratulate her because she brought up four kids alone, and she deserves a congratulations for that. Yeah. Give it up for my mama. <laughs> he stays in character <laughs> yeah. on the stage. <laughs> I'd like to thank God, my mother. <laughs> and the Academy. Yeah. Then he followed that up with Mission Impossible 3. With uh, Tom Cruise's back. Reunion. Yeah, reunion, the Magnolia days. Yep. Then, you know, other movies, The the Savages. Directed by J.J. Abrams. Sorry, keep going. Um, Did he? J.J. Abrams directed- Oh, uh, Mission Mission Impossible Impossible. 3. I thought you meant The Savages. No. I'm like, I don't remember (laughs) J.J. Abrams directing an Alzheimer's drama. No, no, no. (laughs) Then Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah, great in that. Uh, Another Oscar nomination, by the way, for that. And then ending 2007 with- this might be my favorite Phil Hoffman movie besides Almost Famous and Punch Drunk Love. <laughs> Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Oh, my God. Directed by Sidney Lumet. Yeah. Legendary director. This yeah. guy directed Network. Yeah. He you know? directed The French Connection. Well, about Hoffman, he said that there's a scene in a car that was one of the most extraordinary scenes of acting <laughs> with which he had ever been involved. This is like ha- uh, happiness or um, the talented Mr. Ripley for me. This movie is so tense. 
and so visceral and real, it just makes you have like a panic attack. It's like there's no other <laughs> yeah. way to say it. It's yeah. like it's crazy how good this movie. Yeah, and the th- opening scene it just starts right away. Oh my like, god! <laughs> yeah, and it never lets up. No, it's not fair. It's not fair. Oh my life! I've been afraid of becoming like him all my life. All my life with you, and it's not fair. You can't just say sorry and make it all go away. It's too late. It's not that easy. It's not fair. It's not fucking fair. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, if that's not real, I that's don't know what real is. man. Oof. Yeah, and he's married to Marissa Tomei in that, yeah, and he's hey. depressed. He's like uh, George Costanza. He's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah, I mean, that's when you know you're a fucking loser. That movie's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's nuts. You can't even appreciate Marissa Tomei. Yeah. yeah. 2008, we're back to John Patrick Shanley, who had a play out when uh, Hoffman died. No relation to the priest that no. we know of. Uh, but there is a connection. There's a connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doubt <laughs> about a priest's inappropriate relationship with a troubled student. Yeah. And the other nuns yeah. call it into question. Is it Amy Adams, the redhead? Uh-huh. Uh, done in that? Yeah, yeah and right. then Meryl Streep and Viola Davis. There's like three redhead <laughs> actresses. I get them all confused. All <laughs> oh, uh, Jessica Chastain, probably. Yeah, and then yeah. Ron Howard's daughter. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, uh, Blythe. Blythe? Blythe Danner. No, that's Gwyneth the Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Something. Oh, Bryce Dallas, Dallas Howard. Howard. Yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard. Dallas Club. Buyers Club. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Holy shit. I didn't know that that's Ron Howard's daughter. Yeah. 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 Wow. Lady in the Water. <laughs> yeah. Anyone? Jurassic Another great one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shanley only told the actor who played Father Flynn whether or not he was guilty. So basically, he told Hoffman the real story behind the character, but the audience never finds out. Okay. And Phil Hoffman said that this was the thing he was asked about the most. People would come up to him all the time demanding he tell them whether the priest in that movie did it or not. Did he? (laughs) I mean, I think it's pretty clear he did. Okay. Or didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who to believe you. Another Oscar nomination, lost to Heath Ledger. Oh, that wow. year. yeah. We talked about that in the Heath Ledger episode in which he uh, won for the Joker at, after he died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actors were dropping like flies in 2008. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> like good actors. In introducing him, previous year's winner Alan Arkin called him Seymour Philip Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> did he really? Yeah. Oh, and you can God. see Phil kind of laugh it off. Yeah. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah. 2008, you got Synecdoche, New York. I don't even want to get started oh with that one. Oh, my God. Talk this... about uh, throwing yourself into a role. This is Jesus. Tra- this is Charlie Kaufman. No, Oof. this is him. His fault. Like, he made this movie crazy. Yeah, and stripping away all vanity. And using every little bit of credibility he built up in Hollywood and in, in the entertainment industry to make this big, bloated Piece of crap, insane movie. <laughs> it's true. I fell asleep when I saw it in the theater. Yeah, it meant nothing to anyone. It just like was nonsense piled on nonsense, and it was just like a a first draft of a movie you just throw away. I don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Jesus. Small part in the invention of lying. Ricky Gervais. Uh, Moneyball. 
directed by Bennett Miller from Capote, his yeah. old pal. Capote. And by Al- Aaron... Uh, What's Sorkin. Name? Sorkin, yeah. yeah. He played Oakland A's manager in that. Great. Um, Ides of March replaced Brad Pitt in that one, George Clooney's movie. Mm-hmm. And then A Late Quartet in 2012. Yeah. Also in 2012, there was another little movie called The Master. Oh, yeah. I've come around on The Master. I didn't really like it to begin with because I thought it was, again, just kind of like self-indulgent nonsense and just like really good shots and cinematography. But he didn't really take the big swings at Scientology. I wanted him to take meeting Paul Thomas Anderson. It's not as tight as There Will Be Blood, but it's going for the same feeling. It is. About a powerful, ruthless guy that draws people in. Yeah. And, you know, it was there was a lot of hub-hub beforehand that it was going to be about Scientology, and it really didn't deliver on that. Not at all. Through the dreams, I think they're trying to get away. They're trying to, like, make some... some discussion about what what that is, but it was totally lost. Yeah, it's impressionistic. <laughs> the, yeah, the story and that. Yeah, but a beautiful movie. The beautiful, yeah, is gorgeous. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix is great. I remember him. Both of them. Yeah, they were both amazing. Yeah. But like, I think it, it was lacking something. Yeah, the leader. It's Lancaster Dodd, and instead of Scientology, it's the cause. Yeah. It was an intense shoot completed in September 2011. It was three years in the making. As usual, Hoffman threw everything into the role. And at the rap party for the master. That must have been a wild party. He had his first drink in 23 years. Mm. He had recently told his girlfriend Mimi, which I forgot to mention, in 1999, he met costume designer Mimi O'Donnell. They started dating seriously around 2001. And in 2003, they had their first kid, Cooper. Oh, okay. Followed by two other daughters. So he had recently told girlfriend Mimi, he said, I think I can handle drinking again. And she's like, "Uh, I don't know about that. But he did it anyway. And of course, that led to a relapse Mm. of prescription pills, booze, Cocaine. Well, now heroin. Now it's like everything. The floodgates are opened up. Yeah, because he has access to anything in the world now. It's yeah. not like when you're a kid and you know you don't even know what to find cocaine. Now he's just like there's like pill services in Manhattan that deliver shit to you. A year later at the Venice Film Festival, his behavior was alarming. He was falling asleep during press junkets. Whoa. I'm only laughing because I'm imagining like uh, what's his name, your former boss. Uh, oh, Byron Allen? Yeah, <laughs> Byron Allen's trying to ask him about the master, yeah. and he's just, like, dozing off. <laughs> hey, uh, Phil, I recently heard you were on a plane. That's, that's probably why he fell asleep. It's because Byron Allen just bored him to death. <laughs> so wh- how are you like the master? Do you, does he play basketball, too? <laughs> I heard you had a funny story about <laughs> yeah. you playing basketball. Uh, Ron Hubbard, uh, he, he was a weirdo, too, right? <laughs> What did Tom Cruise say about the movie? <laughs> yeah. Hey, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> what did Adam Sandler say about the movie? What did some other people say about the movie? And rumor has it that he was also taking OxyContin at that time. And that's Ooh. what was causing the drowsiness. Yeah. Forget about it. That's bad, man. A uh, longtime friend, Ethan Hawke, noticed that his drinking had gotten a little out of control when he went to see him perform in that revival of Death of a Salesman in 2012. Which would be his last play. 
Really? Which is poetic in some ways because that was his first big play yeah. as a 16-year-old. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, in summer 2013, Hoffman entered rehab for 10 days because he, he, he was spiraling out of control. It was getting too obvious. It, yes, exactly. Everyone was noticing. That brings us to The Hunger Games. He signed on for three movies in the series, his first one being Catching Fire, released in 2013, and being the only one that he was alive to see. Wow. Yeah. He played Plutarch Heavensby, head game maker turned revolutionary leader of the Underground Rebellion. If you haven't seen The Hunger Games, who cares? And if you have, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know what any of this crap is. Yeah, no. it doesn't matter. Um, December 2013, Hoffman relapsed and got back on heroin. Oh, no. And Mimi told him to move out of the family home for the safety of their relationship and their kids. Yeah. Can't have needles around like that. Mm. No. Yeah. Just passing out and stuff mm. in the shower. Like, he, he sounds so similar to Heath Ledger. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like the the level of drugs and insanity that you know Michelle Williams was dealing with, and like, like they're both people that really throw themselves a hundred and thirty percent at everything they're doing. So when they're getting fucked up like that, they're doing it that much too. So mm-hmm. true, because the Joker, it's the quintessential role yeah. that is intense and possibly killed. The dropped actor. everything, and yeah, yeah, and that's what Phil said too about his acting process. He says that, you know how he said he has to go there. Yeah, You know, stay in it. He said he would do that to the point of ill health. But you're, those demons follow you and stuff of these crazy characters and the depths that you're going with them. And it's not worth it. No. It's not worth... I don't think know, so. It's not worth getting a million dollars for whatever this Hunger Games nonsense is and like whatever. And know? I'm not blaming the master by any means, but... That wasn't fucking worth it. No, not not. You know at what I mean? All. Yeah. Like, and look, if you listen to Paul Thomas Anderson, that rolls off his back. Oh, he, he claims he's like, he's like, he, he claims it's his best movie. He's so proud of it. Come yeah, on. Yeah, and also it he, was a bit of a misstep. Let's he's be just honest. a goofy guy. Also, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. He's like he's fine. He's he's skateboarding in like fucking Tarzana and shit. <laughs> December 2013, he's told to move out. So he started living in an apartment around the corner that he had originally rented as a workspace. And this is in Greenwich Village, New York. Nice real estate. Where also, what's her name, had an office. Oh, Adrian Shelley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she did. Later that month, he attended a Narcotics Anonymous meeting where he said that he was counting his sobriety in days. However, his addiction was about to overtake him completely. January 2014. Sundance Film Festival. He's there to promote his new movie, A Most Wanted Man. He has a disheveled appearance, and people are noticing that he's slurring his speech. They see him drinking alone in bars, and he's forgetting the names of people that he knows very well. So, completely out of it. And a journalist named John Arundel recalls having an encounter with him where Hoffman said something pretty disturbing. And we have a clip. Oh, man. I bumped into him um, uh, at one of the uh, late night parties um, in Sundance. And uh, he looked a little disheveled. He um, hadn't shaved. And um, I I, I said, um, uh, what's your name? And he said, you don't know who I am. 
And I, I said, um, no, what do you do? And he said, I'm a heroin addict. Oh, and God. then he took off his cap and um, looked me straight in the eyes. And I said, oh, you're Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he said, bingo. And at that point, uh, he sort of trailed off. And as he was walking off, he said, well, I just got out of rehab. Mm. Man. Yeah. And, you know, not to shit on Philip Seymour Hoffman, not to speak ill of the dead. He, you know, it's hard to tell when he's disheveled and he's not, you know. <laughs> is, is that bad? Yeah. What are you preparing for your next role? <laughs> yeah. Is this happiness too? I know. I don't, yeah. But, you know, that that's crazy, though, that he's that explicit about what's going on. Or maybe they're saying that he's so disheveled. Oh, shit. Even from the normal disheveled. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's next that's level. why it's he's notable. He's reached, you know, third degree of uh, disheveled. Okay, so, yeah, that brings us to Thursday, January 30th, 2014. He's on a break from filming the final installment of The Hunger Games in Atlanta. Hoffman is spotted at a bar drinking heavily with an unnamed woman. Witnesses note that he makes at least a dozen trips to the bathroom where they think he was snorting substances. After the bar, he hopped on a flight back to NYC, and he was photographed passed out on the plane. I can't help but notice that iced coffee. Like, he's trying to wake up or something, and he's already drinking, like, half of the iced coffee, but it's clearly not working. This is the last photo Mm. of him asleep on the plane. Jeez. Friday, January 31st, 2014. At around 8 a.m., he's seen walking around the... Greenwich Village neighborhood, business as usual. Saturday, February 1st, 2014. Same time, around 8 a.m., he goes to Chocolate Bar. It's not a big chocolate bar. It's a a coffee shop (laughs) called Chocolate Bar, and it's his favorite in the area. And he orders a quadruple espresso. Oh, my God. Got to get that energy. Mm. Yeah, I know. Well, you got to bounce back, I guess. One mm. thirty p.m. He receives a call from his assistant, Isabella Wing Davy, who later said he sounded normal. About a half hour after that, Phil leaves the apartment and bumps into Mimi on the street. Oh, man. She says he seemed high. Later at 8 p.m., Mimi calls Phil to make arrangements for him picking up the kids the next morning. And again, she senses that he's high. Yeah, you don't want to give your kids to this guy right now Mm. in this current state. No. But he's not incapacitated because an hour after that, he leaves the apartment. And at 9 p.m., he's seen at a nearby deli with two men. A witness says he beelined for the ATM and withdrew $1,200 in $200 increments. And it is speculated that those two men were obviously his drug dealers. Mm. Uh, okay. So he's asking for $200 bills? <laughs> well, the ATM will only let him take out 200 at a time. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, so he needs he so need 1200 I. You know, call me the guy that, uh, you know, is starving for money, but those are charges, the fees every single time. Oh, yeah. It's like six bucks a pop, probably. Maybe even more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in New York City, Delhi, like. Yeah. Like shady ATM. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the village. Come on. Yeah. It probably is like eight to ten bucks a pop. You're getting screwed. Who would have thunk it? Rich heroin addicts don't care about the fees. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
10 p.m., he and the guys go to Automatic Slims. Sounds like a Tarantino-type joint. <laughs> okay, we're going to go to Automatic <laughs> Slims, all right? I want to win that cool. trophy. Because it's cool, Jan. <laughs> That's what I like, Jan. It's a neighborhood bar where he was a regular. Usually, instead of drinking, he would eat cheeseburgers and fries. And that night, he had his usual burger with a cranberry and soda, alcohol-free. So even though he was back on drinking, he did not have it that night. And he leaves around 11 p.m. Sunday, February 2nd, 2014, 9 a.m. Mimi is waiting for Hoffman to pick up the kids, but he's late. She texts his good friend, playwright David Barcats, and asks if he can go over and check on him. 11.30 a.m. Katz goes to the apartment with Isabella, the assistant. The building manager opens the door for them. Upon entering, they find Hoffman dead in the bathroom. Mm. He's clad in shorts and a t-shirt with a needle sticking out of his left arm. Oh, my God. Hoffman was 46 years old. Wow. Fuck. And for lack of a better analogy, talk about getting your hand caught in the cookie jar. It's like, make no mistake. Yeah. yeah. This, this is, is how he happened. died. Yeah. yeah. Like heroin overdose. My God. Oof. But it wasn't just heroin. The NYPD finds roughly 50 bags of heroin in the apartment labeled Ace of Spades and 20 hypodermic needles, among other drug paraphernalia. Cocaine, heroin, and benzodiazepine, which can sometimes treat alcohol dependence, were all found in his system, and his death was ruled as accidental. Well, the, I, I feel like the benzos that that's for the day after, you know, to bring you down. <laughs> if you're depending on if like you're you have a hangover or you're yeah. trying to come off of um like a bad heroin withdrawal, you do stuff like that, and it's just like you just have all these drugs to like you know get you fucked up and then to bring you down and get you sober and then just redoing that cycle over mm-hmm. and over mixing and mixing oh my uh, god you're man. just constantly trying to ride a wave mm-hmm. yes like, it's just up and down and then yeah. you're like you're it's leaving your system and you're mm-hmm. coming back in and you're enjoying that like if you were a painter and you're mixing colors it's like okay it's a little bit brown now but i want to make it a little lighter yeah oh, oh now it's too light you know yeah, yeah. oh man and yeah and that doesn't, it's not conducive to living a normal life and to like having mm. normal relationships with people around you. The press reported that it was possibly a speedball that killed him. Which Always. Is coke and heroin. Yeah. Where was John Frashanti? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, was, was it a drink this time? <laughs> yeah. Yes, someone gave him a drink at the bar. Well, the speedball killed John Belushi, obviously. Yes. And, maybe, and River Phoenix. And maybe Chris Farley? Possibly Chris Farley. Yeah, possibly yeah. Chris Farley. But the coroner's report states that it's unknown how the drugs were taken. So was it the quality? Because in early 2014, there were multiple cases on the East Coast of heroin being mixed with fentanyl. Starting back then. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Because now it's really out of control. Now it's rampant. Yeah, there's like comedians dying of that. Yeah. 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 The tainted drugs caused multiple deaths at that time. Yeah. However, the bags from Hoffman's apartment were sent in for testing and came up negative for fentanyl. 
Wow. So he did not have the tainted heroin. It was regular, regular. street heroin. Mm-hmm. Was it street? Was it like that? Was the consistency that bad? Like, was it? No, it wasn't. Okay. No. So what caused his death? Acute mixed drug intoxication. Vyvanse was found in the apartment. Mm. And that's an amphetamine that's used to treat ADHD, which he didn't suffer from. Yeah. yeah. It's legal cocaine, pretty much. And it's also an appetite suppressant. Mm-hmm. And based on the photos and his final meals, he wasn't exactly losing weight. Yeah, he wasn't using wasn't the picture of how much. Yeah. And same with the um, benzos for treating alcohol dependence. He was spotted drinking heavily at the Atlanta bar. So clearly he wasn't using the benzos to treat his alcohol. No. So the conclusion is that he was using all these drugs merely to get high. Yeah. Which is incredibly dangerous. Well, that's a very American way of being like, yeah, I, I you know, I'm okay because I'm getting all these prescriptions. I'm mm-hmm. taking them, you know. And, and Elvis he, thought that it was okay because they yeah. were prescribed by a doctor. He didn't think he was a drug addict. Yeah. What he's got going on here are a bunch of powerful stimulants and depressants, which ended up working in combination to stop either his brain or his heart. Yeah. And whatever it was, it happened extremely fast, almost instantly. Hence the needle in his arm. Yeah. There was no time to get help or even remove the needle. Because if I was dying and I saw the needle there, I'd be like, fuck, I'd like throw it off. (laughs) Yeah. So it doesn't look so bad. (laughs) Yeah. But he like, he was used to hiding all of this, this, uh, you know, the drug use and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's hard. It's hard. He can't do it anymore. When you're that, into it that far gone there's no hiding it and he's hiding amongst these kind of like kind of more upper crust people that are you know you know into the arts that are living in you know the epicenter of manhattan there which is like where people go to once they've made it two days later the cops raided the apartment of musician robert weinberg in little italy and they found 300 bags of heroin stashed away and they had labels that matched those of Hoffman's. Yeah. The Ace of Spades. I heard about this. There was a drug delivery system mm-hmm. that was going around Manhattan. And two others were also arrested. Weinberg confessed that he did sell drugs to Hoffman sometimes. He claimed they were friends and that he was just a scapegoat. Oh, they're all buddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They would talk about the arts together. Good pals. Yeah. This, uh, this guy that got arrested... Uh, Weinberg. He looks like the Reverend Bob Levy. I thought the same <laughs> he does. thing. He looks like someone. That is... For a second, I'm like, Bob Levy provided heroin to <laughs> Hoffman? He does like look like him, it. <laughs> but for some reason, I like the other guy better than Bob Levy. <laughs> He's funnier. <laughs> He's more successful. He's better at roast. <laughs> <laughs> And get this, the arresting officer forgot to read Weinberg his Miranda rights. So he ultimately pleaded guilty to a lesser drug charge and received five years probation. Wow. Can't catch me, Kappa. And that's not the only controversy. The National Enquirer published a supposed interview with Hoffman's friend David Barkatz, the one who discovered him. Oh, this is insane. In which Katz claimed that he and Hoffman were, quote, homosexual lovers. He also said he saw him freebasing cocaine the night before he died. Oh, my God. Only problem is... 
Katz never spoke to the tabloid. It was a complete fabrication. So Katz ended up suing the National Enquirer for $50 million. And the Enquirer ended up settling for an undisclosed amount with him. And they issued a full-page retraction slash apology in the New York Times. Crazy. The writers said they were duped by a very convincing performance from a guy claiming to be Katz. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wait, so the New York Times printed this? The National Enquirer did. Oh, okay. But then after the National Enquirer settled the lawsuit with David Barr Katz, they issued an apology in the New York oh, Times. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. That makes sense now. Yeah. Okay. Um, I love when another media is <laughs> like, hey, we're going to use the actual media now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. Not, not in our own editorial or anything. Yeah. Our own op-ed. Because no one is going to believe any of that <laughs> anyway. We're going to use a reputable source for this one. Yeah. Not well, us. Well, the National Enquirer, like, obviously, like, my mom would take that as legitimate you know, journalism, but yeah. but <laughs> if you want to know if Kirstie Alley was fat again, yeah. it was very yeah. reliable. Mariska Hargitay's new alien baby. Yeah. <laughs> or John Edwards affair. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Other oh than that, God. though. <laughs> but Trump thought it was like a very reputable source. Oh, well, it was bought by some other people and they endorsed Trump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. During the election. That's, when, that it, was a that's when it really went downhill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this retracts and that was nothing. <laughs> yeah. So David Barcats, who has a wife, actually, and kids. My wife. Wasn't gay. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it. But the part he resented was that he would have said that he witnessed, you know, the freebasing cocaine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he used the money from the settlement to start the American Playwriting Foundation in honor of Hoffman. Nice. Since 2015, it has offered annual grants to new American plays. And they call it the Relentless Award because Hoffman was always in a relentless search for the truth in his art. Well, so that's a nice thing. Yeah. Very nice. By the way, that Inquirer story ran a couple days after the death. I mean, it was really inappropriate. Yeah. Very it's a tender so, moment. It's so crazy how quickly that controversy controversy happened. And it's literally like two or three days later, the... <laughs> drug uh, dealers are actually in court. Like, it just Mm -hmm. all happened so fast. And the people that gathered around the apartment when word spread, it was a huge thing. Let's not forget, it was Super Bowl Sunday, New York City. Yeah. The city was abuzz that weekend. The Howard Stern 60th birthday bash had taken (laughs) place on Friday. Yeah. Which took advantage of the Super Bowl crowd, like all the celebrities, like uh, Harvey Weinstein were there. No no joke. He was. No, I'm sure he was like front and center. The city was like in shock hearing this. Yeah. Yeah. So it was huge news. So in some ways I could see like where they have to fast track these things, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's so crazy. He died on the day of the Super Bowl in the city that the Super Bowl's happening in. Yeah. Like, that's and not nuts. that the Jets were in it, but it is the stadium and he was a lifelong Jets fan. Yeah. yeah. You know, he probably would have been into the Super Bowl. And in fact, he had texted David Barcats the night before his death after the bar saying, Hey, Do you want to kiss me? <laughs> oh my god. Okay. I'm god. touching myself. What are you doing? Yeah. No, it's saying, hey, you want to watch the game tomorrow? You know, m- trying to make plans. And when Katz texted back, there was no response. Oof. On February 5th, 2014, three days later, the lights on Broadway dimmed 
and a candlelit vigil was held outside the Labyrinth Theater. It takes a lot for them to do that. They don't do that just for anyone. Right. Yeah, they're not doing it for Andy Dick. <laughs> Did he uh, appear why, on Broadway? Yeah, why, would they, why would they ever do a gadget, yeah. the musical? What why? a weird thing to say. Yeah, of all the references, yeah. you know what I mean? Why Andy Dick? <laughs> Eric Bogosian read a eulogy at the vigil. Yeah. It was probably just one of his plays. Yeah, recycled. he just did a one man <laughs> one man play during it. He hands out like flyers, like if you want to see more of this. Yeah, yeah, it's off Broadway. <laughs> I'm hoping to get a better slot though. And uh, let's talk about the Hunger Games finale for a second. The final two movies, which they did that annoying thing where they split it into part one and part two. Yeah, yeah. Mockingjay Part One came out in 2014. Later on. Uh, like November or something. And then a year after that, Mockingjay Part 2. Both of them obviously released posthumously. And that was Mockingjay Part 2 is the one where Phil Hoffman would have had to, re- he had plans to return to Atlanta and do another week of shooting. Yeah. Most of his work had been completed except for one important scene between him and star Jennifer Lawrence. Director Francis Lawrence, no relation to his star. brainstormed with the cast and crew like how do we handle this they ultimately decided to have co-star Woody Harrelson read Hoffman's dialogue to Lawrence's character in the form of a letter Mm. and in other scenes towards the end of the movie they inserted existing footage of Hoffman in order to make his presence felt but did not use any CGI like they did with Paul Walker or Sopranos, where they they put Oof. the mom in there. Remember that? Yeah, that was grotesque. That was ridiculous. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the early CGI that made the rock in the Scorpion, Scorpion King, King. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look like Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's Mockingbird. It's like who cares? It's a I dumb trilogy. I know. Anyway. I I thought it was called Mockingbird for a while. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's Mockingjay. Yes. Who cares? I call it Mockingbird. And it is a bird. Yeah. yeah. The bird, bird, bird. The bird is the word. The word. <laughs> and let's not forget that Jennifer Lawrence claims she was the first action star with those movies. First female action star. Yeah. I guess she forgot about Sigourney Weaver and Alien. There's so yeah. ma- there's so Linda many, Hamilton there's and so Terminator. Many, there's so many things in that that don't interest me at all. <laughs> I know. But she was lampooned recently for saying I, heard, that, I remember yeah. her saying that. She says a lot of wild things. Well, She's yeah. wild. Yeah. <laughs> that one in particular got yeah. people's goat. <laughs> Other posthumous releases, God's Pocket in 2014, which was his last completed (laughs) film role. He had planned to direct a movie called Ezekiel Moss with Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, It was going to be a Depression-era ghost story. (laughs) I got no money. I I do declare (laughs) there is a ghost in that house. I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) And he was involved in the show Happy-ish on Showtime. He was producing it and was signed on to star in it. Wait, who was in that? Was that Jim Carrey? I'm going to go over it right now. John Cameron Mitchell directed Hoffman in the pilot, which was unaired. So Hoffman actually filmed the pilot for this thing. And he played Tom, a cynical middle-aged ad exec. This was unearthed 
somewhat recently. John Cameron Mitchell shared it yeah. on Twitter with like a link to YouTube since removed from YouTube. And I found it on some archive website. Wow. But this was Deep the dive here. Yeah, unaired pilot of Happy-ish. And like I said, he's this ad exec. And in one scene at the office, they're talking about rebranding the Keebler elves. <laughs> and Hoffman is pissed off. He's old school. He's like, why do we have to rebrand the elves? And then this leads to a fantasy sequence, which you have to see to believe. Okay. What the hell are you doing? 46 fucking years I gave that company. <laughs> and now they're going to fire me. Well, not if I kill us all first. Oh my God. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh no. Oh my. Are they even allowed to do this? It gets crazier. Oh, no. No. What? Oh, my God. What are you doing? I have waited so long. Whoa. What? You like mama's cookies, don't you, baby? What the? Oh, my. Come on. This is not real, is it? Oh, God, you're a fucking double stuffed. Fucking. Oh, my God. (laughs) And might I say that that is a testament to his fearlessness as an actor that continued to his very last appearance on camera. Still going after it. You know, like that is going for it. And what's interesting, the whole premise of the show, happy-ish, am I happy enough? And that's something that Hoffman often said in his life. He would question, was he happy or just unaware? And so in some ways, another poetic last project for him, you know, fucking the elf lady aside. Yeah. And the show continued with Steve Coogan replacing him. I kind of and remember this. Steve lasted... Coogan, anytime he goes into something, it's like, he's, he was good at like two things, but and after he, that. And yeah. he's usually a scuzzball. <laughs> yeah, he's a scuzzball. And like, we get it. He's British. Who cares? <laughs> and it lasted for one season on Showtime I re- I recall that. I'm like, oh, this sounds great. And then I watch it. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so you can see that same pilot with Steve Coogan, except they heavily toned down the sex scene. He, so he's not he's not fucking the uh He starts to a little bit, but she has a bra on. Okay. And it cuts away right away. I mean, if they did that in that pilot, that would have got some eyeballs. Oh, like absolutely. that would have got people well, like that would have got people talking. <laughs> yeah. Plus Phil Hoffman. Yeah. And that shows that he was ready to start doing some good TV shows. Well, yeah. this is the beginning of, you know, the golden age of television. Yeah. Again. Breaking Bad had just finished yeah. and it was becoming more mainstream for famous A-list actors. To and he do could it. now become a lead in TV rather than just a background player. Right. And so now we're just left with, you know, that <laughs> imagining what could have been. Yeah. With the rest of his career, which we know would have been brilliant. Of course. 2017, girlfriend Mimi O'Donnell, mother of his three children, published an essay in Vogue about her experience. The whole thing. She wrote that his addiction was bigger than both of them. And that although she loved him, she couldn't save him. Quote, I had been expecting him to die since the day he started using again. But when it finally happened, it hit me with brutal force. I wasn't prepared. There was no sense of peace or relief, just ferocious pain and overwhelming loss. 
end quote. Over the years, she and the kids finally got to a place where they could talk about him without crying. And so then she said after that point, they would all make an effort to talk about him all the time and keep his spirit alive. Oh. And to end here, the legacy lives on. Son Cooper Hoffman, born in 2003, made his acting debut in 2021's Licorice Pizza as charming, pimply-faced teenager Gary Valentine. Nice. Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Of course. Close friend of Phil Hoffman. Yep. Mm, That must have been very emotional for him. I heard Phillips, um, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson gave a great eulogy for um, Philip Seymour Hoffman when he passed away. Oh, so, wow. so this is actually a good addition to a, a send-off, you yeah. know, of remembrance for him to have his son in this as a star. And his kind of one of his first roles, really. His first role. His first role. Period. Yeah. And, like, he's not doing Death of a Salesman. He's doing uh, Licorice Pizza, which... <laughs> Best Picture nominee. I didn't know until recently that was, uh, that was like a... Um, it was like a chain of uh, comic book stores that was on Ventura Boulevard up and down the valley. Uh, There's one in Studio City right now oh, called, no called Licorice Pizza. So. Oh, wow. It's a love letter to 1970s Los Angeles. Yeah, it really is. Once upon a time in Hollywood without Charles Manson. Yeah, and in Paul Thomas Anderson's love of Jewish gals growing up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Alana Haim. Haim, yeah, from the band Haim, which yeah, is, uh, and all the little... sisters are in it. It's a family affair. Family affair. It's yeah. a whole crew that you know kind of grew up together. And yeah, they're from, Anderson, they're from Encino. Those girls. Yeah, he said that he auditioned others at first, then thought of Cooper, who he realized he had been directing him in home movies on his iPhone, along with his son, Jack, since they were toddlers. Yeah. A lot of, like, Mission Impossible type parody stuff. Yeah. And so it just clicked. In an AP interview, Cooper said, quote, it felt almost like I was stepping into my dad's shoes. It really was this feeling of maybe this is what he felt like. It was this weird out-of-body experience. I felt incredibly close to my dad through the whole shooting process. End quote. And critics called his performance authentic and star-making. He was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actor and won the National Board of Review Prize for Breakthrough Performance, which he shared with Alana. And, you know, it is very moving in that sense. Yeah, the movie when you put it all together, it's like P.T. Anderson lost his best friend and frequent collaborator so tragically, and Cooper lost his dad so tragically, and for them to come together and continue this acting legacy, yeah, it, it's really cool. Yeah, I I I liked it. I I liked I liked him in it. Um, it, it was very you know, it's just a crazy story that circles back around and is just like a coming of age story of, of these kids and stuff and, and show business plays a big part in that and like what it does to people mm-hmm. and like good or bad and like you know people are just people when it you know at the end of the day and stuff and yeah i thought i thought it was it was cool and knowing both of them and growing up with both of their movies and stuff it was kind of cool to see that happen yeah final thoughts Oof. i mean jeez what can you say i would I think you mentioned it earlier. Uh, uh, I think you could put his IMDb up against literally anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, just amazing characters all around. 
Because uh, some of his movies are my favorite movies, period. Yeah. No joke. Almost Famous, Punch Drunk Love, Before yeah. the Devil Knows You're Dead, Boogie Nights. Yeah. Well, they say there's no good movies anymore, no good movie stars, and that's true. And I think <laughs> it's really hard. Maybe it's hard for actors these days to really compare to you know the 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 character actors of the past or the movie stars of the past. And, you know, there's something to be said that they were just really great. And I think he was one of the last character actors kind of holding that torch of like greatness. And I think it's just like, you know, Jack Lemmon, you know, Walter Matthau, some of these people that are just like interesting people. Yeah. That really add add color to like a great uh, film like that. And you just, they're not making, they're not growing on trees anymore. And unconventional. Yeah. And out there, yeah, and just knowing that, I, I, I think just you know the 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 acting teachers aren't out there anymore. That you know, like the the a lot of the major acting studios are gone. You know, UCB's mm-hmm. done. Not to say that they're creating someone like Philip Seymour Hoffman, but like, but like you, you just don't. And if they are still open, they're impossible to get into. Like a guy like Philip Seymour Hoffman would never, without any connections in Hollywood or anything, or or. Broadway would never be able to get into a really good acting school these days. Yeah. That he was able to get in probably in the in the eighties and stuff. It's 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 very different. It's bad. And it's like, yeah. And he got to a point in his career where he could literally do anything and people would follow. Yeah. Including having sex with a cartoon elf woman. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, not everyone can get away with that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing. If Coogan did that, they'd be like, get this Brit out of yeah. America now. Like, we're like, we did Chaplin. Yeah. <laughs> well, it only lasted one season with Coogan. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, very sad. Sad, but also it is fun to go back and rewatch that stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And who knew I would have... I would have could have known him at like uh, when he was 19 years old or something. Yeah. Or 20 or mm. something. Crazy. And I was like seven years old. R.I.P. Philip Seymour yes. Hoffman. Absolutely. And your friend from camp who had the sweat stain. Yeah, yeah that guy, geez. Dennis. Yeah. Dennis. Dennis. And Ted Demi again, because I forgot to mention that Punch Drunk Love was dedicated to him. I didn't yeah. realize. Oh, uh, yeah. Away, that's right. Yep. yep. And Jonathan Demi, his uncle, huge influence on Paul Thomas Anderson. Of course, big time. Yeah. Yep. Okay, do we have any other business to take care of? Yes, we have uh, some new reviews that came in or comments. Uh, Tim Loss talking about the Brian Lawler WWE star episode. He said, the episode is full of royalty. King of music, king of wrestling, and king of DUIs. It's like if Game of Thrones was set in a trailer park, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, on Apple, iTunes, I see Reyes one said hooked. Hello, uh, I listened. Hello. To, <laughs> I listened to one. There's multiple O's. Yeah, uh, I listened to one episode and was hooked. Funny and informative podcast on celebrity deaths. So, thank you, I see Reyes one. And I got one on. Instagram from our, I think it was the Lawler episode. Um, from my name is Ums <laughs> as the username. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Ums. Uh, fantastic episode in such a dubious case, which Ooh. is uh, very accurate. indeed. Thank yeah. you so much. And of course, as always, Samantha Morris, who we love. Um, I was nosy and looked up pictures of him uh, in on Brian's grave. It says he was a Steelers fan. 
Now I like the Ravens, but I'm not Tombstone committed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great stuff. Thank you, Sam. Yep. Thank you, Sam. And uh, yeah, if anybody else wants to go on to iTunes or YouTube, leave a comment, leave a review. Spotify. You know what it is. We're all over the place. We need reviews. Please. We'll read them. We love you. Yeah. YouTube, we passed over 3,000 subscribers now. Yeah. Which is good. we're, We're going to four now, and we're... We we've got a ton on Instagram. People people love us on there, and in yeah. TikTok we're we're borderline influencers now. We're TikTok, gonna, we're, we're on our way hi- to seven thousand. We're gonna start is... a hype house over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we are becoming somewhat of a gatekeeper. Yeah, for celebrity tributes. It seems yeah. like it. Yeah, people are looking to us for those updates, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So send us an email as always at deathandentertainment at gmail dot com. Um, Feel free to say whatever you want to us. Any suggestions, we will take it. Speaking of suggestions, yeah. I believe Jay Rising suggested Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, shout out uh, to Jay Rising. Actually, a bunch of other people. Yeah. I think Ashley did, too. Ashley? Okay. Yeah, we had multiple requests for this episode. This was a big one, yeah. And famously, my good friend Ben, I remember he called me Super Bowl Sunday 2014 and we were shooting the shit, and then he said, "Did you hear about Philip Seymour Hoffman?" And I was like, "No, what?" He was so excited to tell me. Oh man, <laughs> he hit the jackpot. Some yeah. people like tell, uh, telling bad news, like yeah, that. the death which, pigeon, which I guess we do too. Yeah, we <laughs> are the purveyors of bad news, and uh, that's how we're gonna do it. So until next week, guys, uh, you know. Let us know any hate or any fun you want to tell us by email. And uh, yeah. yeah, until until next week, don't go dying on us, I guess. Yeah. Goodbye. Guess. <laughs> this is Truman Capote. Goodbye. Goodbye. You have just heard... A true Hollywood murder mystery. I have never seen anything like this before. The movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it. A place that manufactures nightmares. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon.